Good morning. Well, if you've been here throughout the year, you know that we are preaching through the book of Psalms. And as I looked on our preaching schedule for this week and next week, when I was scheduled to preach, I realized that there were two different kinds of psalms that were to be highlighted on those two weeks. One is a psalm of thanksgiving, and one is a psalm of lament, as uh, Pastor Steve has just shared with our children. So I'm going to use those two different types of psalms to kind of use as a structure to share with you a little bit about my sabbatical. Last time I stood before you and said much was the Sunday that I was leaving on my sabbatical. I don't know where eight weeks went. Um, wow, it seemed to go really fast. Uh, but I told you some things there that we hoped to do, so I thought it just would be a nice thing to come back and tell you some of the things that we did do. And as I began thinking about those things, I realized that they sort of fell into two categories of some laments and some thanksgivings, and that would tie in nicely with these two psalms that we were looking at these next two weeks. So then it just kind of dawned on me. The, the question came to me. Which do you like to get first? Which do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Which you want first, the good news or the bad news? Well, see, I couldn't wait till today to get that answer. And I couldn't just come up with it off the top of my head that quickly. So you've got to go with my choice, which is the bad news. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. Don't ask me that question. I hate it when somebody says to me, what do you want, the good news or the bad news? That just raises my anxiety out the top of the roof right off the bat. And I probably shouldn't tell you that because now I can just hear it for the next several weeks. Every time I see people, they're going to ask me, you want the good news or the bad news? Um, but today we're going to start with the bad news, which is really not too bad. And then we're going to talk about some of the good news and some of the things I have learned and been reminded of and experienced on our sabbatical um, this week and then again next week. So this week's psalm is Psalm 85. And Psalm 85 is a psalm of lament. And it is a psalm of community lament. It is a, a song that they would have used in worship. The Jewish people would have used this in their temple worship. And it would have been something that they would have sung. Now, you're glad to know we're not going to sing it, but they would have sung it and they would know it regularly. And it would be part of their regular worship. And they came together and told God exactly how they felt. And sometimes they felt good, and sometimes they were lamenting something. So what exactly does lament mean? Well, it means to feel or express sorrow or regret, or to mourn deeply. Lament is a normal expression for people. I dare say there's not a person out here who cannot think of something just that quickly that you mourn, or that you lament, that you regret, or, or really are just sorry about. Laments in the book of Psalms carry, or, I mean, are formed around a definite form that they follow, sort of like your English lesson in school. I'm guessing that there weren't many of you for whom English was your favorite class, and you just couldn't wait to get to those poet, poems to study the structure of poetry. I understand that, but there's always reasons for those things, and we're going to do that a little bit this morning before we read the psalm, because I think it's important to see the form that these psalms of lament would follow. One-third of the psalms are psalms of lament, so obviously there was a, a purpose for them, and it helps us, I think, to understand that purpose better when we see how they were formed. 
When I was in seminary, we studied a book called Out of the Depths, A Look at the Psalms, by Bernard Anderson. And as I looked back over that book this past week, I saw that he had a really good little chapter on the form of lament. And according to his study, there seems to be six pieces of a psalm of lament. Now, that doesn't mean that every lament followed this exactly, but in general, the laments seem to have all six of these parts, sometimes in this kind of order, but sometimes it's a little harder to, to see. I'm going to read the psalm in just a moment, but before I do, I want to tell you those six areas so you can listen for these areas as we read the psalm. The first part of the psalm of lament would be the address to God. Who are they talking to? They are talking to God and they address him. Then would come the complaint, what they were unhappy about, the actual lament. Following that, there would be a confession of trust. Basically, when they're saying, we trust God to handle this. I'm unhappy about this, but I can trust God to handle this. Then the petition would come, what they were actually wanting God to intervene and do. This is what I want, God. And as a community, as a nation, they would say, this is what we're, we're looking for. Then they would have words of assurance. They always knew that God was listening. And the psalms of lament always would move toward an ending of praise and thanksgiving. So that's an important piece to me, that moving from complaint to praise and thanksgiving. So as I read the psalm this morning, you listen and see if you can pick out those parts. I'm going to read to you out of the Good News translation. Now that's not what most of you probably have, so it may be a little hard to follow along. You may just want to listen. Um, but if you can find that on your device and get to it, the Good News translation, you can follow along as I read. Lord, you have been merciful to your land. You have made Israel prosperous again. You have forgiven your people's sins and pardoned all their wrongs. You stopped being angry with them and held back your furious rage. And God's righteousness will look down from heaven. The Lord will make us prosperous, and our land will produce rich harvest. Righteousness will go before the Lord and prepare the path for him. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, see, we lament when things go wrong, don't we? <laughs> and sometimes Amen. things go wrong, you know? just got to go with the flow and keep moving. 
But in this psalm, you can sort of, can you see the movement of how they moved from um, addressing God and then their complaint? I think the complaint probably could be found in verses 4 and 5 when they're saying, What's up, God? Why are you angry with us? Why are you displeased with us? Are you going to be mad with us forever, God? That's their complaint. And their petition, perhaps, could be found in verse 7 where they say to God, Show us your constant love, O Lord. And give us your saving help. So the psalm would move from those things on into a point of thanksgiving. The Jewish people didn't get stuck in the bad stuff. They didn't get stuck in their laments. They used their laments to look back into their history and to see where God had been present. They saw where God had worked before and their relationship with God gave them hope and trust in God for the future. The Psalms of Lament reminded them that even when they didn't feel like God was there, they knew he was. Now, I don't know what was going on in the Jewish um, people's nation at this time. The commentaries didn't say. But obviously something bad had happened because they felt like God was angry with them. The reason bad stuff happened was because God was angry with them for some reason, usually because they've quit paying attention to God. So they're asking God to please turn away from that anger and to come back and give them their presence again. But even in the midst of those laments, they knew that God loved them and that God was there. And those, their lament was able to move just from the bad stuff to the good stuff to the thanksgiving and the praise. So this morning, I wanted to talk to you about some of the laments that I found on my sabbatical. And next week, you have to come back next week to get the good news. Next week, we'll talk about some of the good things that I discovered on sabbatical. I attended a conference on Washington, on Washington Island in Wisconsin. It was put on by the Wisconsin Council of Churches, which is really hard to say, and the Christian Century Magazine. And it took place in a performing arts center on Washington Island. I've got a picture that you can see of the, the conference and our conference leader. The conference leader was Reverend Carol Howard Merritt. She's the lady standing here, obviously, with the dark hair. She was the presenter for the, the conference, which was entitled Church on the Edge. Now, right there, you got good news and bad news. What edge is the church on? You know, is it on the edge of doing some new and exciting things? Or is it on the edge of falling off the charts? You know, on the edge of falling into an abyss, something bad. Well, from that conference, there were two things that I really picked up on that I noticed that, that were laments. First of all, the first lament was that it was obvious that the churches that were represented by the ministers at this conference in many ways were really struggling with some challenges and many of them were facing similar challenges you would hear talk in the halls and in the conferences as you gather around with people about declining and sporadic attendance not enough money not enough volunteers apathy not enough young people how do we reach more young people in the churches how do we get our people to engage their community and to get out and to serve and how do we maintain these beautiful buildings that have been our church home for many, many years? Those were all laments that I heard people talking about. Now, not every church faced all of them, but every church faced some of them. And that was difficult for them. You could just hear the grief 
And here the lamenting as the recognition is that things were changing. Churches were lamenting the, the change and the losing things that they held dear. And then you could hear that there was some fear for what the future holds. The second lament that I heard there at the conference was that the old ways of being and doing church are going to struggle to reach the next generation of Christians and non-Christians. And if you want to reach non-Christians, how are we going to do that in new and exciting ways? Reverend Barrett talked about some of the new church communities that are popping up, those new church movements. She talked about their different characteristics that they hold and the needs of a new generation that they meet. And I'll talk about some of that next week. But she challenged us to think about what could the more traditional churches and the more established churches learn from those new communities of faith. And one of the ways that she talked about it was using the term about, she talked about traditions and customs. And I thought what she had to say was very helpful. We hear church people lament what they perceive to be the dismissing of their church traditions. As things change, they find that they feel like those traditions are changing. But she says our traditions don't change. Customs are what change. Traditions are the roots of our faith. They are the things that we hold on to and that are meaningful to us as we worship and in our relationship with God that can be traced all the way back to the beginning of church times. Let me give you the same example that she gave us because I think this helps to, to see it to understand it better. The tradition in the church, one of the traditions is Bible study. Studying God's word, wanting to know him better, looking into the written revelation of God in order to know the living revelation of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's done through Bible study. The custom of the way we have done Bible study is Sunday school. It sort of helped me to use the word customary. Okay, the customary way for many of us to do Bible study was to show up at our church building on Sunday morning, right? We went to church, we went to worship, we went to Sunday school. And it was at Sunday school that we got Bible study. That was our custom. The tradition of Bible study is not changing. It's just that the customary way of delivering Bible study is changing. There are many people today who prefer Bible study on Sunday other than Sunday and in some place other than the church. It might be in a home study group, or a study group that meets the small group at the place where they work, or in a coffee shop, or some other setting out in the community. Many people do their Bible study online. The resources that are available to you for Bible study today are unbelievable. There are great things out there that were not available to previous generations. When I was in seminary, you know, we had to go to the library to find stuff that you can pull up on your iPad sitting in your, you know, easy chair in your living room. There are lots of ways to study the Bible now. You can go on YouTube and pull up preaching and teaching and study the Bible in different ways. The tradition of Bible study has not changed, but the customary way of delivering Bible study may indeed be changing for many people. She encouraged us to think about that and to not mourn so much, not lament that the traditions are changing, but to recognize that the customs may be changing. And how do we do things in such a way to reach the people who don't hold the same customs that we hold? It was an interesting conversation and one I'm sure we'll continue to think about. 
The third thing that I discovered that I lamented from my sabbatical was one that I experienced personally. Tommy and I attended six worship services between us. He wasn't always there when I was there, when I was in another state. But we attended, I attended church in six different places in five different states. And one thing I discovered was, and it made me very sad to lament, that churches are not always very welcoming. In only one of the six churches that we attended did someone other than a greeter at the door or the minister even speak to us. I'm not, I don't mean they engaged, didn't engage us in a conversation. I mean they did not speak to us. We could have been invisible. Now, Tommy and I are okay, folks. You know, we looked like they looked. We're church people. We wanted to be in there and go to church with them. We wanted to experience the um, opportunity to worship and to find a community to worship with. Well, we found places to worship, but we didn't find much community. We didn't find much community, and that made me sad because I could not help but think, my gosh, I've been a Christian since I was nine years old, been in the church all my life, and if I am invisible in the church, what about the person who God is working in their life in a new way and is coming to the church for a first time or maybe coming for the first time in a long time and they don't get a better welcome than that? That makes me really sad. I know you hear our pastor say it week after week after week. Talk to people. Meet the people around you. Greet the people around you. It is an important piece of worship and community building to say hello and share your name and ask some questions and get to know people. Now, I know that there are some people who want to slide in Go to worship, be anonymous, and slide out. I get that. But I would much rather we err on the side of being too friendly than not being friendly enough. And not just being friendly, but getting to know people and to share some real community together. That made me as sad as anything that I experienced on, our, on my sabbatical. So I hope that you will um, keep that in your mind and really look around you and reach out. I introduce myself to the same people over and over. I just got to tell you, you know, I can't remember names like Greg does. And I'll, I'll probably introduce myself to somebody I've met two or three times before. But I'm sorry, I'll keep doing that until I can learn your name. And I hope you'll make those same efforts and reach out and welcome those that are around you. The fourth thing that I discovered on my sabbatical is that worship is not always about God. Now, of course, in some way I knew that. I, you can see it around you in, in the world. But we visited one place that really reminded me that worship is not always about God. Let's see if we can get that picture on the screen and see if you can see what this is. It's a place where we went um, on a, on a uh, Saturday, late Saturday night. What is that? Can you tell what that is? Football field. Anybody want to guess what football field that might be? Don't tell if you know. Anybody got a guess? This is the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, the home of the Green Bay Packers. We went to Green Bay on Saturday as we were moving up the state of Wisconsin to get to Washington Island the next morning. So we got there in time on Saturday night to take a tour of Lambeau Field. I just got to be honest with you, this was probably the most exciting thing that I did. 
I'm telling you, I love football. And I have known all about the Green Bay Packers since I was a young, young teenager. I've always enjoyed that. So to get to see Lambeau Field, to get to walk into that stadium and see all the, the placards with Bart Starr and those guys on there and just to, to be a part of that was really exciting to me. That stadium is huge, and it is very impressive. If you, pull, if you come into town on the interstate, if you look off to the side, you see one great big thing rising up out of the skyline. You know what that is? Lambeau Field. I mean, it's really something to see. You can get a season ticket to Lambeau Field if you can live long enough. You can get on the list, and you'll probably be on the list 25 or 30 years and pray that the ticket might become available. You can get a ticket for a home game, um, for um, a home game, but, but they're hard to get because they are sold out every Sunday, whether it's 20 degrees or 20 degrees below. Those season tickets are fought over in divorce settlements and passed down to families through their wheels. You got a, an older parent or grandparent that's got tickets, you better be nice to them and hope that they might leave them to you in the wheel. We ate, and doing the, the tour, we were able to go up and sit in the skybox and listen to the stories about how Lambeau Field and Green Bay Packers got started. You can rent a skybox at Lambeau Field. Anybody want to guess? $89,000 a year to rent a place at Lambeau Field. $89,000. You can have one. They do weddings at Lambeau Field every week of the year. And I don't just mean receptions, which they do plenty of. I mean weddings. They told us they did one usually every weekend and sometimes multiple ones in a weekend. The day that we were there, they were having a wedding. Bride and groom, the whole party coming right along. Now, I'm not picking on the, pe picking on the people of Green Bay, but it was obvious to me that there are things people love more than they love God. And that just was a real obvious one because we were there on sabbatical. But there are lots of those things that we put ahead of God and that we love more than God. And we say we don't. I know. We say we don't. But when you look where they put their attendance and where they put their money and where they put their families, you kind of can believe, begin to get a view that there are some things people love more than they love God. And I think we have to be really careful to make sure it is God that we worship and not something else. Even if it's something else that's good, it needs to be God. The fifth thing that I noticed on sabbatical was that I could not help but lament that when stories of family and faith are not shared or told to the next generation, they may very well disappear. One of the things I told you, if you were here the Sunday that I, um, that I left, the Sunday right before we left on Monday on sabbatical, I told you that I wanted to go to uh, Minnesota, to St. Paul, Minnesota, where my dad grew up, and to be able to see some of the homes that he lived in and to see you know, family graves. And we were able to do that. I've got a couple of pictures so you can see um, some of the houses. We went over to St. Paul one morning and um, did some sightseeing and then had lunch and then went and started looking for the houses. Now, the only way we could find the houses, here we go. This is a little greenhouse. It's a little hard to see with all the light. This is a little greenhouse that my dad lived in um, sometime in the you know, mid-20s, 1920s would be my guess. And then there's another one. 
Um, this one is on another street. Thank goodness St. Paul was set up in grids, so it's really easy to find things. But we would have never known where to go if Dad had not written down the stories. You know, if he had not put in the history book that he gave all of his children where he lived. And additionally, we were able to go to the cemetery and find the graves. Here I stand at the grave, it says McLeod, which is my maiden name. I could not have found that grave if I didn't at least know where to get started looking. And I knew from him having written down that they were in, he said, Oak, what's the, what's the cemetery in um, Raleigh? He had it backwards. He had whatever the, the Oak Cemetery is in Raleigh. It's actually Oakland Cemetery in St. Paul. But because he showed us and told us those things, we were able to go there. And it was tremendously important to me and just very moving. But it made me sad that Daddy was not there to tell me those stories, that he did not take us there when he was living. I'd much rather have gone to St. Paul, thank you, Caroline, to go to St. Paul and to look at those things when Daddy was alive and to be able to see those houses and have him tell me those stories. Now, I was lucky because he wrote things down, and he did talk about it a little bit, but it just made me wonder if people really do that. On Sunday morning, I've got one more picture. On Sunday morning, Tommy and I went to worship at the congregational church that my dad attended when he was growing up. It's a picture of it right there in his same neighborhood, just right down the block, a couple of blocks from that first house I showed you. And that is a beautiful church, and they are still worshiping there every Sunday. And I was so thankful that we could go. How many of you know what church your mom or dad went to when they were growing up? See, it just made me think, particularly if your family has moved from somewhere else, do you know those stories? Have you told the stories of your faith to your children? If you don't share those things, then you won't know those things. I was lucky that in the last three years, when Dad was sort of in and out of an assisted living home and a nursing home, I had an opportunity, and the hospital for that matter, to sit with him and talk with him about those things. And he talked with me about faith and his faith. That's how I knew that he was at, had gone to that congregational church. And when we saw it, I knew that had to be the one that he had told us about. He had passed his faith down to us. But I lament that I'm not sure we do that very well. I would encourage you parents to take your children where you, to where you grew up. Now, they aren't going to want to do that at 15, let me just tell you. But when they move into their 20s, you know, take them places and show them the places of your youth and growing up and tell them your family histories. But at any age, you need to be the ones telling them about your faith, not just the stories of the Bible. I trust that you're reading your you know, children's Bible to your children and they're learning those things in Bible study. And I don't mean just those good stories, but I mean your stories of faith. Share with your children what your relationship with Jesus Christ means to you. Where did you get baptized? How did that come about? If you don't tell them those stories, they will never know them, and those stories will die. And they are part of God's story. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 8 through 21, is a well-known passage that says in part that we are to teach our children Teach your children when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. We translate that today to say when you're driving in the car. Wherever you are at every opportunity, tell your children about your faith. If you don't, 
They may not ever know it. And the parent is the biggest influence on the faith development of a child. So, yes, there were some things to lament while I was on sabbatical. Some things that kind of made me sad. And yet, as I studied this psalm that we looked at this morning and looked at the form of a psalm of lament, I remembered that lament goes from the complaint to thanksgiving and to praise. Yes, there are challenges for the church today, but the church of Jesus Christ has survived over 2,000 years, and there is no reason to think that it will not continue to survive and thrive. Yes, it's going to take some change, and there's going to be some things that we're going to mourn. But young people and new generations continue to look for a church home and continue to want that relationship with God. Churches are not always welcoming, but God is. God is still working in this world and calling people into a relationship with him. That work of God is not going to end until Christ comes again. Yes, worship is not always about God, but God is still God, and he will always be God, whether we worship him or not. His being the great I am does not depend on our response. He is God. We are the ones who gain from that worship of him and that relationship with him, and that won't change. And yes, stories of family and faith can disappear, but God's story will not. His story of love for us will continue for generation after generation, just like he loved the generations before us. His love is there for us and will not change. Now, I know that there are a lot of things to lament in this world. Just as in biblical times, there are bad things that happen. There are bad things that happen in our country and in our world. We see, see it on the news every night. And it makes us sad, and we lament. There's always been loss in life. Change is always hard. Evil and danger have been at work in this world since the fall of man. But remember the form of the lament, and don't get stuck in the bad news. But remember to move through to the good news. God has been faithful in the past, and there is absolutely no reason not to think that God will continue to be faithful in our future. The laments may seem overwhelming, but our God is bigger than all of them. Thanks be to God.